Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven, and eight figure Amazon sellers, e-commerce sellers, and we've got to think bigger than that, retail sellers, because that's actually the business we're in. E-commerce is a subset of retail. We very rarely think about it that way. Today's guest, Talor, is the expert in this, and we've been talking very vigorously about the overall opportunity. So we, today, we're going to talk about how to get retail ready, which is your real thing, isn't it? So welcome back to the show, first of all. Exciting discussion. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. So getting retail ready, assuming that we've been convinced by the previous episode that we should consider this seriously if we have what you think of as a micro brand in Norman Farrar's words and or something unique or a really healthy set of SKUs that together makes up something that will fill that is called the white space. So it's kind of filling in a gap that they have in their, their inventory, their offer. Right. How do we go? What, what are the, what's this lovely six part framework you got? What's the first thing we need to do? I'll talk about it in a second. Just just to mention something very important. Retailers are looking for products all the time. All the time. They want your products. And you might think, oh, I'm too small. Oh, I'm not good enough. Don't think like that. Because I've been seeing like tons of labels sending to retail, which they wouldn't believe they, they will. And they did. And it's not a big deal. But the thing with retail is that <clears throat> you have to think about how does it look on the other side. It's totally different from Amazon. It's not like putting my products on there, paying for PPC or not, and, and whatever sells, sells. It's, it's totally different. The thing here is that you have, first of all, think about two customers. The first one is the buyer or whatever title from the big box that is looking at your product. And then the consumer who actually buys it in store. So looking at those two, we keep in mind all the time that, first of all, we have to go through the buyer, which is the first customer that we have here. Now, the buyer, I'm saying buyer, but refer to that as general title, okay? Because it could be GMO, CMO, there's so many titles, sourcing manager and so on. So the buyer is looking at what I've sent him. And if I'm sending him an email, a LinkedIn message, a text message, whatever it is, he's usually or she, let's say, let's use he for both, right? So buyer would always, most cases, know in seconds if you are an e-commerce brand or you are a real brand and you're you know up and ready for retail. This is why I'm using the term retail ready because I know what they look at in the other side. These guys, these people are working on percentage, they're working on commissions besides the salary, and it's very important for them to be careful and to make sure that the vendors they are working with is not only going to sell well on their on the products in in their store, but also the whole process would be very smooth. If that's not the case, they're getting like a little bit scared so how do we do that there are six points that i'm going to talk about and these six points as far as i see it and it's only as far <clears throat> as i see it i'm not a guru whatsoever i'm just giving you you know 
as far as I know, from my knowledge of, you know, very short period of 18 years in the market. So the six points that is, you know, making the, the brand retail ready is as follows. Well, first of all, the first thing that you have to think about is your website. Most of the Amazon sellers would have a website, something basic or a little bit advanced, progressive. The thing with websites, and there's a lot of points to talk about website, and that comes to the point of branding. So the thing, the main thing with website is it has to have a language. Now, having a language means that if I if I communicate with you, let's say in, in in English, like I just did with Michael earlier before we started, and he was like he was dropping something in in, in uh, Spanish. What was it? No pasa nada or whatever. So yeah, más o menos, yeah, more or less. Más o menos, yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So I used to live in, in Spain for uh, almost a year. I, I don't remember my Spanish that much, but I do remember a bit. So it makes sense for me, but it's still out of the language. When I want to show a language on the website, I don't, I cannot show like green, yellow, green, yellow, green, yellow, and then all of a sudden everything is black or white, right? Because it doesn't make sense. There's no language here. Not to mention that you have to make you have to figure colors and i'm talking only general i'm not going to dive into details but generally speaking you have to look at your website as you know something identify with the brand so if i'm selling earbuds like that i'm gonna and there are white and there are you know there's colors for electricity if you look at colors and you google like colors and emotion in in google you would find tons of information what each and every color is transmitting in terms of a feeling to the customer on the other side and it's very easy to do that then you can easily determine if you're going to use black white blue green whatever on your website and start to create your language from there i've seen mistakes in in terms of branding on website which were like so easy to avoid like different fonts on the same line on the same page bolded here unbolded there underline and all this stuff that makes it look like a mess you want to make it look clean you want to make it use look easy that means that you don't need to work hard with insanely you know talented designers you just need to have someone with a normal common sense or someone that can do what you want and you use your common sense and you start to play with it like if i have three pre three pictures of products in front of me in a page. One of them is white background. The other one is white and here it's black. It would make sense. But if it was, if it's going to be white, white and black, it wouldn't make sense because there's no, there's no balance, right? Stuff like that. So this is branding website is your face and you have to use it properly. And you have to know it's a, it's a thing I'm telling each and every one I'm, I'm, I'm working with and meeting and talking with do not use Amazon link on your website. This is not, you're not, you're not a, a salesperson of Amazon. I know that people might get lazy and say, I don't want people to buy my website, go buy on Amazon and that's it. You know what? Even not having the option to add to cart or having the option add to cart and then defining that option to, to say, to pop a window like out of stock or something is better than having buy it on Amazon. Because when people see buy on Amazon, especially from the retail space, but on other places as well, they would say, okay, this is an Amazon, this is an Amazon seller, not necessarily a brand. It's just a seller that, you know, bringing products from China, putting his logo and that's it. That's what you mentioned before, Michael, like the small difference between where you start to leverage that and not just putting a logo on a poly bag, but really trying to create a brand which is really, really easy. Not easy, but it's like super doable. It's not a big deal, right? Brand is something like, it's it's like having a baby. It's like developing all the time. Um, and it never ends. You can always develop more and more. So the, the website is the big first 
thing that I would talk, I would think about when it comes to being retail ready. The second thing, and that I just mentioned what I, you know, big points, but there's so many points to refer to in terms of the website. The second point I would touch, and it goes together along with the website, is a catalog. Now, some sophisticated sellers might, you know, did their like PDF or PPTX slides catalog. But then again, the language, the way you present yourself, are you putting your mobile down there on the PDF or you just, you know, making it look like an office, a company? It doesn't really have to be an office and company. You know, you can use number like virtual numbers. You can use a lot of stuff like that. Are you showing the product and then variation or you're just showing, showing it in a mess? Are you giving like your lifestyle images inside a catalog or you're just showing something boring? Do you have how much percentage out of this? space area surface of your catalog is dedicated for text because as you probably know people don't want to read text nobody wants to you know what nobody wants to hear even these days nobody people don't want to hear that's why i by the way i established my retail ready service because what i'm talking about here i'm giving it as a service like that's what i do part of what i do and i'm doing it because people don't want them to be coached they don't want to listen they just want things to happen let me see it happening. And the happening thing is the side with the picture. So pictures and lifestyle and images and colors, even brush with colors, like showing what, what are the variations that you have for a certain product would be much better than just writing reds and so on and having those boring, you know, bullets in, in those colors. Anyway, that's for the catalog. It's a whole, you know, there's a whole theories and a lot of, things that you have to consider when it comes to catalog a retail ready catalog people tend to put pricing i've even seen people putting pricing like up to 100 units beyond 500 units a catalog is not a, a quotation it's two different things you have to keep in mind so it's totally common to put like msrp like your retail price msrp is by the way manufacturer suggested retail price by the letters but the real term refers to actually retail price which is your Amazon or website price that you sell it for, like what's the consumer buying it for? So you would have that price and it would make sense because I mean, you could also have wholesale price there, but it it not it would not always make sense to have it there. It depends, it varies. So that's yeah, that's about the catalog, which is another yeah. uh yes, sorry. That's that's just gonna say that that's a quite a big amount to take on board. So I guess a catalog in a funny way, I guess what Amazon's done is it's taken a business-to-consumer catalogue like it was produced by Sears in whatever, the 1890s or whoever it was, once the railroad network, so the first network that enabled, you know, distance commerce. I guess what Amazon's done is a, is a much more sophisticated version of that. But I suppose what you're talking about is a a catalogue that isn't designed for the end consumer. It's designed not even, but it's not a quotation either. It's designed, I suppose, to entice and excite those buyers that you were talking about. Is that right? So the, really the... The, the customer for your catalog you're talking about is the buyer. Is that right? Not the end consumer, not the accountants. hundred percent. Not for okay. the consumer. Yeah. hundred percent. When it comes to the consumer, I will mention the consumer. When I talk about the customer or the other side, and it's good that you brought this up, I'm always talking about the retailers, the companies themselves, you know, the people who work in front of you, people who is buying for you. Yeah. So you've got to really think about selling to them primarily by the sound of it. I suppose we're very used to business to consumer messaging, but then we screw up business to business messaging because most of us aren't used to it, I suppose. So this is a new skill set that makes sense that people make these funny um, right. mistakes. So just to clarify, then, if it's not a quotation, tell me about what is the difference between 
a quotation or, or when you've got MOQs and costs, if you buy 100, it's this many dollars. If you buy 500, it's this many. When is when is it appropriate to do that? And what's the purpose of the catalogue as distinct from that? The Well, the purpose of the catalogue is, first of all, to transmit the understanding and the vibe that you are a company, like a brand. I have a catalogue. You know, in the industry, we call it a lookbook, not a catalogue. Lookbook means like it came from the idea of how do I look like? Okay. If I don't have a lookbook, that means that, you know, lookbook and catalog are also being used to release new items every season or every year, which sometimes won't be products that you would see on the website. Or if you want to show products, you know, that you don't want to show on your website from whatever reason, then that's the place. Okay. And then there's also a teaser deck. Teaser deck is a little bit more advanced. It's a catalog, but it's a catalog directed to the exact person you're communicating with. So for instance, if I'm talking with Costco and I want to send them a catalog that is 100% meant for them, I would send it with palettes rendering of my products at the, at the last page. Why? Because Costco is buying only on pallets. That's how they work. They just open the skirt of the pallet inside the store and that's it. Boom, you can start buying it. There's no shelving. There's no stocking, no nothing. Okay. Just an example. If I do it with Best Buy, for instance, I would do a stand in the middle of the store because most probably when I start work with Best Buy, I understand that I'm not going to go to the shelf. I'm going to go somewhere on the back of the shelf, on the front of the shelf, but with my own stand. Okay, so I'm just rendering that for them to show, hey, I know what you're expecting. And they, they would like, oh, my God, he knows what is it supposed to look like. Yeah. So, yeah, bring it on. Show me samples. I like that um, a lot. I mean, I guess bringing it back to the more conventional stuff that I suppose I'm more familiar with as business to consumer marketer, and I, I've never done selling to retail. I guess what you were doing is looking at what's the customer's expectation, in this case, the customer being the buyer for the, the store. And really, it's almost like a lifestyle shot. If I were trying to sell you uh, a coffee mug, I would show you sitting down and drinking good coffee. We were talking about great coffee. So before the show, I know Israelis drink amazingly good coffee. And, uh, you know, I, I've got enough Israeli friends that I know they value their coffee. So you'd be sitting there with your friends friends you know having a relaxing chat and that would be how i'd sell the coffee put it in context and you guess you're doing the same for the costco guy you're saying look i understand how you sell things at costco i know how it needs to look to the consumer and i'm going to show my product in context and I, it strikes me as although it's a different way of thinking and different consumer in the end the principles of the marketing are the same at least i think it sounds like that to me i'm just trying to comfort the people who are thinking this sounds a bit tricky because actually the fundamental principles i think are the same aren't they yeah Definitely. That's, that's exactly like that. So yeah. tell me a bit about pricing. You mentioned price. Is is that where, does that come next or where does price yeah. come into so this next, whole question? Next, you're going to look at pricing. Well, before you, before you start, it's, there are two different topics, but sometimes, not sometimes, but in a lot of uh, points, they are, you know, gathering together. So before pricing, I would do this, the research. Now, doing the research, you have to know what you're looking for. It's not like looking what my Amazon, uh, you know, competitors are doing. You're talking about your your uh, competition in the retail space. So if you go to Costco.com, again, that example, but it could be UrbanOutfitter.com, it doesn't matter. And you look at what they sell there, not necessarily all the labels you see are labels selling on their actual physical stores. So then you have to define who is selling in the physical stores. That's number one. Number two, once you define that, let's say you define that a company name X is selling the same product like yours and you're selling retail price 50 and they sell for 40. What you would know if it comes to, let's say, Bed Bath & Beyond, for example. Bed Bath & Beyond, 
this is like a real number. Bed Bath & Beyond are expecting to buy half price of the retail price. Like if you're selling for 50, they would buy 25. So if you see a competitor selling in-store in Bed Bath & Beyond for 40, you would know that they bought it for 20. And then you know that if you're going to give a quotation or pricing to them, if you talk with them and you give them like 25, most chances they wouldn't even bother because they have it for 20. And what's make, what makes you different, you know, versus the, the competition that you have? Obviously, if you have super, you know, upgraded product versus what your competitor have, then definitely you could ask for 25 or even more, but that's depends on, on, yeah. So the research is something that you do in terms of understanding the market, not only in terms of, in terms of pricing, but also in terms of what's happening there, how, you know, how much space is there sometimes. And I've, I've seen that a lot. Sometimes you might find that products like yours do not exist in the retail market or exist, you know, in a very, a very old school products that are totally not advanced as yours. And then it was like, oh my God, there's a lot of space for me here. All right. And I've seen that happening. And then from those researchers information that you're getting, like data and, and figures that you're getting, you would know the pricing. So the pricing is a whole huge topic. It's not easy. I know it's not easy. The benchmark, and that's what I, that's, you know, uh, I would give some more examples, but the benchmark is again, half of the retail price would be wholesale price. So if I buy my products, sell my products, sorry, for $50 and I sell them wholesale for 25, that means that I have to buy them landed in the States for somewhere between 12 to $16. If I buy more than that, for more than that, then I'm starting, you know, to lose my margin, my margin cut. But then if you look at TJ Maxx, for instance, which is, you know, more than 4,000 stores of a retailer with a very strong, uh, powerful sell side and selling like insane and very good figures. Here's a discount. They are a discounter. That means that instead of buying for half price, they're buying half of the half. Meaning if your MSRP is $50, they would buy it or ask to buy it for 12.5 or 13 at the maximum. So you have an issue here. But then from the other hand, once you're doing, you know, a test order of whatever, two, three, 500 units with them, and they see that everything is cool, the next question you get for them is not go ahead and produce this and that for me. They ask you, how much can you produce a month? That's the question. See what I'm saying? Like they, they literally have almost no limits in terms of quantities. It's insane what's going on. Because when you talk about TJ, it's not only them, it's also Marshalls. It's the same umbrella, same company. And the same thing happening with their biggest competitor, which is Burlington. So you can always, you know, flip between two of them. If it's not going here, it's going there and so on. Those, these are another example I spoke about 50% with Bed Bath & Beyond. Neiman Marcus, for instance, which is a very high-end retailer and selling beautiful products, both online and offline with beautiful stores, super invested, super high-end. They work on an IMU, which is the markup, okay? They work for 60%. That means that out of MSRP of $100, they would buy it for 40, okay? I'm just flipping the numbers. It's not 100% precise, but I'm just trying to make it easy. And so on and so on. So this is the pricing. So what I have to do when I want to be retail ready, I want to look at the pricing, how much I buy it for, how much I sell it for, and what's going to be the best price according to what I see 
according to the markup that I think they would sell it for each and every retailer and according to my research. And then I'm like dividing it. Okay, subscription box, that's going to be the price. Retailers, that's going to be the benchmark. Cheap retailers and so on and so on. I'm not going to, you know, sometimes I would do it, but you don't really have to divide it to each and every retailer because, hey, there's like hundreds of retailers in the States. Who knows? Mm. Uh, you don't want to do yeah, Excellent. more than you need. Yeah, sorry, I, was, I mean to cut you off, but just to sort of help people absorb this. So it sounds like the, the benchmark's 50% of, of retail price for wholesalers. However, if you're dealing with a massive discounter like TK Maxx, which is, is huge in the UK as well, then yeah, obviously they are offering a discount of of the standard retail price to everyone who walks into their store. So that's clearly not going to work. That makes total sense. And I think that what it comes down to, I suppose, like any good negotiation in the end is understanding the expectations of the other side, right? It does sounds to me that in the end, it's not that different to when you're on the buy side as opposed to the sell side. You're buying from the the manufacturers in China or wherever you buy from. Again, you need to understand what they are willing to do, the MOQs, that sort of thing. But it's interesting. I, I, I think what you've put your finger on, a little bit like Amazon, only possibly for retail even more, the real upside that's in the implication of all this. How much can you produce a month? Because we have no lim- limit to what you can sell. I guess once you break through that barrier of convincing a buyer of having a micro brand who's coming across as a competent actual brand owner, not just an Amazon seller. Once you've jumped through those hoops on the other side of it, if somebody can move 10,000 units a month, I guess then it starts to be an incredible opportunity, right? I mean, I guess that brings me to a whole bunch of, of stuff, which is I know you're not there to be the CFO or you know, the financial officer or accountant for your clients, but presumably... Um, it's worth talking briefly about the finances because if somebody like Costco or TK Maxx expects me to pay me after 60 days and I've already paid my supplies in China, that can lead to a bit of a major cash flow crisis. So how do people manage that side of things in your experience? That's, that's, that's totally correct. So the first thing is to know that you always have to keep in mind, how do I scale the same way that you scale on Amazon? You want to scale up, but you sometimes want to scale down. Meaning if I'm getting it on, on the table, let's say, three, four retailers I start to work with, I have to be careful because this might be, you know, sometimes a huge step for the company might be the step that kills the company. And I don't, we don't want that to happen. We have to be careful. So there's always negotiation. There's always communication with them. This is, it's people behind it. It's not system. It's not like, you know, so suppose that you get an order and I, you know what, it happened to me. I had an order from Macy's bucket 20, 17. They wanted to order 108,000 units out of, I think, 11 or 12 SKUs. And I look at, looked at the numbers and I knew that I could arrange either for my bank or from finance companies. And there are a lot of com- finance companies in retail space in the States that could give you the money to produce. And they understand what it takes to produce. And like if you click, if you Google Rosenthal and Rosenthal in New York, you would see this is one of the biggest companies and each and every one can apply them. As long as you show them a PO from retailer, they would tell you if approved or not, they take between 1.5 to 3% of you know commission for their side, that's their cut. But then you get the money from the beginning like that you need to, to produce up till the point where you get paid by the retailer. The whole process, which is sometimes it could be three months, it could be eight months. Okay, so back to the the thing with Macy's, hundred and eight thousand. I looked at the numbers and I figured that I'm not sure if I can do it 
with the cost that I had. Plus, I was asking my supplier to support and give me some credit, and they did give me credit. But summing up everything, I figured that that's too big for me. So I came back to the bar saying, hey, it's a little bit big for us right now. We're not in the abilities of producing so much and, and to keep them you know, in, in, in the time frame that you're asking for. We ended up doing 54,000. Just like that, we ended out. Well, fifty-four thousand was like eight hundred, almost nine, almost no, eight hundred and thirty thousand dollars of a, a, a deal, an order. Okay, which is nice, but still, I didn't, I didn't want to risk. I mean, I, I risked like four hundred thousand. I didn't want to risk more than that. That was more than enough for me at that point. And especially with Macy's, I mean, if it was another retailer, I would take the risk. But Macy's, I knew from the beginning that if you do. Any mistake on the way, each and every mistake costs you by chargebacks. Like if you don't have the right label on the box, then you're going to be charged back $12 each and every box. If you don't have the UCC, not UPC, UCC label on each and every pack of three, then again, you have a chargeback of $6. So guess what? I knew that and I knew how to avoid that, but I was so overwhelmed with work that I just didn't get to that all things that I had to do there. Anyway, I ended up with more than $50,000 of chargebacks from them. And I was still with very good profits. I was happy with that. I said, as long as I'm not crossing the $100,000 uh, chargebacks, I'm good. I'm willing to pay that because in my situation, it's good enough. I was like, I, I had was having a hectic uh, situation with so many retailers. Anyway. Yes, that makes sense. So this is a great little story because that goes to show how, I think it's true on Amazon, by the way, it's really, really true, but it's even bigger when the cash flow is so lumpy that, the, yeah. as you say, scaling too big can kill a business. And I think that I've seen that, sadly, myself a little bit. And I know mm-hmm. quite a few horror stories from, from people like yourself that deal with people that generally deal with the bigger numbers, like an $800,000 order. That's pretty chunky, you know. And, and I guess that, as you said, you, you looked at the, I guess, the risk analysis, again, to generalize this for anyone. You'd analyze the downside potential in very concrete terms, the chargeback risk. And you said, okay, we ended up with $50,000 chargebacks. That's manageable for me. If you'd end up with 100000 I guess that could start to really dent the amount of cash you got in the bank and start to risk your business, right? So I really like the, the way you evaluated risk and you decided not to go as big as you could, which, by the way, in America is probably a crime. You're probably not allowed to do that because you, would, you wouldn't be saying go big, 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 big. But sometimes surviving this year whatever happens is better than going yeah, big mean, this year, right? I mean, at that certain year, I was, sorry, we're still working with more than, I don't know, between 50 to 60 retailers, American Eagle, that's huge. Uh, Kate Spade, <laughs> Urban Outfitter. That, I mean, I had my team in New York, but that was really too much for everyone. Yeah. Yes. We were like overwhelmed. So I thought like, yeah. okay, I'm managing the risk. Where can I take risk? Where I cannot? That was the story. Anyway, the term that I, you need to know about finance, the term is Factor, F-A-C-T-O-R. That's the yeah. name. If you click Factor in the USA, you would find tons of companies that can factor your retailer and your orders. That's for that. Next yeah. topic that we have in, in the retail retail ready thing is, is called packaging. Now, packaging, you know, it's like your picture on Amazon. It's very easy to understand it in terms of, you know, again, common sense. The thing is that, like, if you look at a picture on Amazon, and you dedicated a lot of work making it, you know, sharp as you can and good as you can to speak for itself. If, if I would, if I would, as a customer, as a normal consumer, I would uh, scroll down and look for something on, on Amazon. And when I see a picture of, let's say, whatever, Sony Place, not, so, not, not a good example of whatever, 
something that I look for, a shoe that I look for. I see three or four details that I was looking for in terms of the color, how it looks from the side, the size, I don't know, the brand and everything. Boom, that's it. Same thing goes with the packaging. Think about a person crossing to the store and you have greatest product on earth, but your product is in a box and it box has only the name of the product. Now, nobody knows the name of the product or even if they do, they don't bother to read versus having a huge picture of it on the box. And then as you look at it, you know, oh, it's that. That's what it is. That's the product. Or even better, you could have a window. You know, you could make like a cardboard uh, 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 box and have a wind transparent, whatever, PPE or PVC uh, window. Then a person who walks in the store sees the actual product from outside. Okay. In second, he know what he sees. And this is like the biggest tip I could give about retail packaging. But in, in general, retail packaging is not shipping or sending or putting on the shelf a product inside a poly bag or an empty, you know, whatever, white or black box. It has to make sense in terms of visibility. Yeah. And there's a lot of that comes down to the same common sense that we would have as a consumer, because most of us still shop in physical shops, to your point, that it's not right. dead yet. And and according to you, never will be. And that, that may well be the case. But either which way, we all know what it looks like. So we need to get away from the Amazon separation of it doesn't make sense to put the picture on the box on Amazon because they already bought it by the time they get it, right? Exactly. So we need to get, go back to plan A, which is instead of putting it all into images and then having a boring box, put it all on the box. But I guess you take kind of the same photographs, you communicate the similar information i guess your canvas is slightly different right so you've got six sides of a box as opposed to nine images but i imagine that that's one of the bits that that translates the most easily across from the one world to another from e-commerce to big boxes is that right do your clients generally find that straightforward or are there some things they screw up there no i i, I yeah it is it is correct what you just said but here's another side side uh, side tip yeah. Normally, you could you could take your product polybagged or whatever and sell it on Amazon because, as you said, it's already bought. Who cares the packaging? But then, if you create a packaging for the retail, because, for instance, you don't have retail packaging, you just want to do a J hook or a cardboard hook, not something sophisticated. You don't want to invest. You don't want to go and spend, you know, days with your Chinese manufacturer or whatever, wherever manufacturer. You could do this packaging and once you've done it and here's a big thing about it once you've done it it's not the same product it's the same product inside but it's not the same product meaning that you have a different sku and it means that you can sell it for different price now here's the thing i know as far as i know on amazon part of the restriction says that if you sell on amazon for 30 dollars, you cannot sell for 29 on any other place you have to sell 30 or above now, what happens if you look at uh, a retailer and you understand you have to cut it to 15 because it's a whole surprise, but then you think, okay, I want to sell them for 20 because on their platform, people are selling for 40, but I cannot raise it for 40 on Amazon, right? I have the problem with them. So you get rid of the problem. You just take the same product, you pack it in a retail packaging, you change the SKU and boom, you have a new product. All right. So there you go. Having like solutions for other issues you might, you might run into yeah nice um, nice tip yeah that's, that's a very important thing to think through actually not just if you sell to big box retail if you sell anywhere in the world except for amazon 
you really have to be aware of that that kind of restriction. I mean, technically, it's anti-competitive behaviour and probably unconstitutional, but it happens. I mean, that's one of the things that Congress may intervene with, but that could take years. And in the meantime, yes, it's a big risk. I agree with that. So, uh, this is is this that was that step five or, or where are we at? Not sort of retail ready uh, steps. That was uh, that was five. The last one I'll go through very quick. I call it brief. When I say brief, I mean, what is the text that I'm using? Now, most of us have, you know, our story banner in the website or about us banner. It's a different thing. A brief, again, like the packaging, like the website and like the catalog, you want to get attraction. You don't want to send text that people would like, oh my God, what is this? I'm fall asleep in front of it, right? You want to get like, oh, well, what is it? What is it saying? Oh, yeah. Wait a second. Because you have them responsive. When they're, once they are responsive, you know, you, you get it moved quite easier. So we have brief text for emails, for text messages, which is shorter and different and friendlier. And for LinkedIn and for different, like, you know how they say the media is the message, right? But not only the media is the message, the brief also is the message. Because obviously, if I talk with you, if I text with you on, on LinkedIn, I'm feeling more open. But then I still have to keep some kind of form. But I would send two, two three lines on, on LinkedIn versus like, whatever, 10, 15 on email. Again, I don't want to make people like getting long email thinking like, because there's a need for us, you know, you know how it is when you have notification, for instance, on Facebook, let's say you have like seven of them. Okay. Or 12 of them. It doesn't matter. You, does something make you act in a way that you want to, you want to clear it. You don't want them to be as, you know, popping there. All right. And it gives you a very good feeling when it's like ah, done. Same with emails. Like I have five open emails. Now it's very easy on Facebook because the majority is like nothing important, nothing really, you know, no big deal. But then in email, if you're getting a short email, it's like, okay, I know the answer. Tuck, 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 tuck. Automatically, you know what to respond. If it's a long email, you're getting tired. You're like, all right, postpone it for later. All right, put it in the, yeah. in the junk or whatever. You know, yeah. you don't want to make people tired. That's You're so beast. right about this. Again, this comes down to, I guess, a bit like the retail packaging. All of us have bought stuff in physical stores and we've used retail packaging. So you just need to consume mindfully and then not forget that when you're acting as a marketer. And again, you know, all of us have email inboxes where exactly what you described. I've got a, an email. I sometimes got emails that I feel guilty about because I keep recycling them. I snooze them using Gmail or I'll star them. And, and they're just like several paragraphs long. And I'm like, oh, I can't make a decision about this because it feels like an opportunity, so I haven't deleted it. But on the other hand, it's not simple enough for me to say yes. So I guess if you make it short and simple and easy to say yes to, then you know, you're know you going to get a response, right? It's pretty common sense, but it's amazing how people break common sense when they communicate to other people. And by the way, hands up, I'm 100% guilty of that. I write emails that are like paragraphs and paragraphs, and I look back at it and I think would you respond to that, Mike? And I think no, and I just mostly just... <laughs> cut it right down but actually what i find is this i dictate a lot of emails i speak into my phone and i look at it it's a flipping novel it's war and peace and i have to cut it down and taking writing short emails for me takes a lot longer than writing a long one is it just me or do you find that your clients have got the same problem no i think uh, it's not only you definitely not only you like it's so common so yeah i did want to say just this like all these things that i mentioned these six points is stuff that you know you can do yourself like vendors can do them it's not the easiest on earth it needs like quite things to be researched and looked after this is a service that i'm giving now to be honest my biggest thing is to sell products not to teach or not to do anything 
other than that. But then a lot of, most of the, the majority of the labels that I'm seeing, they're not retail ready. So once they approach me, I, what I offer them is like, you know, at first I, I do the, like, as I mentioned, I'm doing like, you know, investigating their line, like checking what is the status, if it fits or not. And if it does, what's the status in terms of written ready or not, or, or half percent or, you know, 50% and so on. And I give it as a service, like a paid service, obviously, but I'm doing all these four companies. Why am I doing it? Because once we're done, I'm giving them the option, you know, to go ahead and use it for with themselves and finding you know companies to sell and i can open also doors for them like introduce them to a couple of retailers as part of the you know service as an extra which is fine but the big thing that i'm most interested in at is to become their age sales agent once the retail ready service side is done meaning if your line is retail ready and i can sell your line that's that's more interesting on my end. That's like what I do. And besides different labels that I'm selling today, I'm also sending my products because, you know, if you talk the talk, you have to walk the walk. So if you don't sell, you just talk about history, what happened before 2018, 2019. So, no, I'm, I'm doing it live. Like I have a bunch of orders, you know, as we speak from retailers that are, you know, being in process. So like I'm aware of the changes in the market, what's happening, what's moving and so on. Mm. Amazing. So you 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 still got your hand in that? What's they they still got your hand in the mix? Or I can't remember. There's some a nice American phrase that I can't remember. So in other words, just to clarify this, you offer basically you don't really coach people in this so much as you offer to be their right. partner to be the bridge between them and the retailers, the big box retailers, exactly. or, or indeed subscription TV, all the all the different things we talked about in the last episode. So if people want to check that out, we've got a redirect from amazingfba.com forward slash retail empire, which is uh, your site. I like it. I'm thinking big. And certainly the numbers we've talked about today. I mean, the word empire is not inappropriate. If you're selling 10,000 or like you know, 100,000 units of, you know, 12 SKUs to one single big box retailer, you can certainly see how you could scale that thing up if you've got half a dozen retail relationships to a very very significant business in a, in a pretty short cool. time as long as as you said caveat just don't go broke on the way so mm-hmm. having a trusted pair of hands like yourself who's been around uh, doing this for 18 years which i think is a long time to be doing this is yeah. is a very reassuring thing so anyone who wants to check you out amazingfba.com forward slash retail empire so i know you've got to dash off and enjoy your evening in israel one final question so for me which is what questions should i have asked you that i haven't when are you when are you visiting me when are we meeting in person i'm tired of those podcasts i want to see people <laughs> in life <laughs> i like the, the question <laughs> I'd, I'd love to come to israel I've, my parents have been and it's supposed to be an incredibly beautiful place like i'm a fan of the mediterranean generally and obviously israel is a you know, tel aviv particularly right on the med right so dinner dinner on me promised in the best restaurant on the beach in jaffa or tel aviv you choose Wow, that's Never amazing. <laughs> I don't think, sadly, this is an offer that's available to all podcast listeners, but maybe we no, should have no, a... It's, we should it's have only a, for you. <laughs> thank you. Well, that's not the answer I was expecting. I am I will hold you to that. But in the meantime, for everyone else uh, listening in the podcast, as you say, having to do live virtually, looking forward to more physical things, including physical retail, which, as you said, is very much not dead. Huge percentage of, in fact, is the absolute majority of retail as a whole massive opportunity and i think you've really opened my eyes and hopefully the listeners and and watchers eyes as well so big big thank you for coming on the thank show thank you for having me my pleasure thank you for having me it's a pleasure being here thanks for listening to the 10k collective podcast for six and seven figure amazon sellers 
I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.